It's wonderful to be here on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the day that us Christians always look forward to, not because it's a holiday, but because it is the pinnacle of our gospel. It is the pinnacle of our belief. It is the pinnacle of our faith, and we rejoice in it. So if, if you can smile to somebody next to you, just smile and be like, this is the pinnacle of our faith the resurrection of Christ. And, and while you're smiling, why don't you open up your Bibles to John chapter 12. I'm going to read something from Scripture, and we're going to dive in so that we know and understand what the resurrection means for us. Look at what John chapter 12, verses 23 and on says. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it from eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant also be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Say with me, this purpose. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there and heard it and said, and, and said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what you, what you have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. We'll stop right there. The time has come, the hour has come, and Jesus approves the message that God had ordained for him. Not only is he in approval, but he is functioning to achieve that glorious plan of redemption. The hour has come in this dark period. It is a moment of darkness People did not understand. People were, were, were closed. People could not see because it was an hour of darkness. And the word here that we read in verse 35 where Jesus says, walk in the light lest you walk in the darkness. When John uses this word, it's, it, it, it means 
more than just turning off and on the lights, more than just lighting a candle to see. What John is emphasizing here is that Jesus came into a period in time of dark morality and spirituality. When John uses the word darkness, it's the Greek word skosia, which means a moral blindness. Something completely blind to the spiritual realm. More than that, it's ignorance of who God is. And even worse, this dark period was darkness putting you at enmity with Christ and with God. This dark period separated humanity from God. It separated people from their maker. And it was this darkness that ultimately crucified Christ. The prophet Isaiah that was quoted here said earlier in chapter 9 verse 2 in, in, in his book that the world and that the land was full of darkness and therefore there was a need for a Messiah. There was a need for a Savior. There was a need for a Redeemer because the world was dark. Once again, it isn't just the dark of light. It was a moral, spiritual anger and hatred towards God. This darkness caused God to be the enemy of his people. This darkness is also related to, to the devil, Satan. He is the ruler of the dark world, as John says in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, and he promotes spiritual darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. This is a dark period. This was a dark time, and this is where Christ came. It wasn't just that particular moment. It was every person who will ever live apart from Christ. Every person who will ever live apart from the saving word and life of Christ. And Jesus climbed, cries out in verse 35, walk in the light while you still can. Just a little while longer, I will be with you. But that time, Jesus recognized that the hour has come and his time to be glorified should come. Think about that. Christ considered his crucifixion his glory, his glorification on earth, being crucified on a cross, nails driven through his hands and his feet, hanging a humiliating death on a cross was Christ's glorification. He considered it glory because it was ordained by God. And so therefore in verse 27 through 30, we read that God approves of this. That God gives him the approval saying, go forth and accomplish your purpose. For it is by this purpose that you came. Christ came with a purpose, with a design. His, his, his living here on earth was not accidental. He didn't come into humanity just, just out of nowhere. He came for a specific time and for a specific purpose, and that purpose time had come. What was that purpose? To bring light. That's why we named the title of today's uh, kind of message that, that we've been going through and, and the video and the songs that we've been singing. There was a dark period, a dark night, a dark time, post-tenebras, after the darkness, after the tomb, there was light because Christ resurrected and brought that light in. 
even after his resurrection. This was something he had already done. John chapter 1 in his gospel, in in verse 4, he says, In him was life, the life was light to all men. This was Christ's purpose. A dark period needed light. You walk into a room that's dark, you immediately turn on the light because if not, you have nowhere to go. You will stub your toe at the corner of a table, and we've all felt that pain. You need light to see, and Christ came into humanity with redemption purpose to shed light. People need to see how cruel would God have been to maintain his people in darkness. Yet, he devised the plan, and at that time, Christ came and shed light. For what purpose? To bring light, but also so that all may believe in him and have life. John says this in John chapter 20, verse 31. If you believe in him, he came for this very reason. John says the reason why I'm writing this gospel is that you may believe and have life. Friends, we believe in a resurrected Christ, and we preach a resurrected Christ so that you believe I believe and ultimately have life. If you've confused life with the material blessings that you have, if you've confused achievement and wonderful careers with life, my friend, you are sadly mistaken. That's not light. Everything will perish. Everything will go away. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. But Christ came. For the purpose of showing light so that you and I can see. And when we see that light, we would believe it and by consequence have life. Jesus died for that particular reason. How did he die? Darkness crucified him on the cross. The cross did two things, my friends. The first thing the cross did, we read in, in John chapter 12, what, what we went through, he, he had to be lifted up. That wasn't glorified or applauded. That was literally being lifted up on a cross. In verse 31, the, what did the cross do in, in verse 31? It says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out here's the wonderful thing about the cross that satan devised it or thought of it as a symbol of defeat a moment where he had won the battle but john says that the cross won the victory That the cross cast out the ruler of this world. What does that mean for us? That that the devil has no more authority over those who walk in light. What the cross accomplished and what God did through Jesus Christ on the cross was to defeat Satan. So that he no longer has control over us. So that he no longer has control over this world. And so that in defeating Satan... He also defeats darkness. Therefore, the light has shone, the light is shining, and darkness is being defeated. 
The symbol of defeat and disgrace was God's symbol for victory. That's something that we really have to understand. We preached this on Friday night. If you were here for a Good Friday service, you understood that Paul said in his first chapter in 1 Corinthians, he said the, the cross is an offense, it is a disgrace, but it is power for the believer. And that's why Paul says we preach Christ, and not only Christ, but we preach him crucified, because in his crucifixion, he defeated Satan, but he also defeated sin. So you are no longer controlled by those appetites that controlled you before you came into the light. Those appetites that controlled your darkness, those appetites that controlled a moral darkness, a spiritual darkness in your life, no longer has controlled the victory of the cross. What Jesus did on that cross was completely annihilate that hold, that chain of sin over our lives. And he's still doing it today. And there's still people out there that are morally captive to darkness, chained in addiction. But there is a resurrection. And that cross brought that. It defeated Satan. It defeated his authority over our lives. And number two, what else did that cross do? It brought salvation. Look at what verse 32 says. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is symbolic of the Exodus and Moses lifting up the snake on, on that stick and people looking onto that snake for salvation. Jesus says, when I am lifted up on that cross, hanging on that cross, I will draw people to myself. I will bring salvation. Salvation will be accomplished. And, and when he says all people, he's talking about all Jews, all Gentiles, all Greeks. Every type of person can look to the cross and be saved. There is no, it's not only an exclusive claim in John's gospel for the Jews. It's not only exclusive claim for the people of God from the Old Testament. It's a universal claim saying that every person, whether Jew, Greek, or Gentile, can be saved. Therefore, most of us here are Latinos. Even the Latino people can be saved. Even the Mexican, Puerto Ricans, Guatemalans, Hondurans can be saved because Jesus was lifted up and died. And in so doing, he would bring people to himself. I love that aspect of the cross. His glorification, in his glorification, he draws people to himself. Think about that for a little bit. It wasn't his power that drew people to himself, although it did draw crowds. People love to see miracles. People love to see uh, bread coming out of nowhere and being multiplied fish. People love to see the miraculous aspects of Jesus' life. But Jesus didn't bring people to himself by the miracles he did. By raising Lazarus from the dead. That's amazing. How do you not believe in that? How do you not use that miracle to bring people to yourself? He didn't. Because people are always captivated by what they see. People are always captivated by the signs that they see. People are always amused and entertained by what they can see. And Jesus says, I don't want people to come to me because I entertain them. That's why we often read in the Gospels, Jesus goes away and hides. 
Jesus goes away. He, it, it says it at the end of verse uh, 40, and, and sorry, verse 37. Jesus hides. He doesn't want to be where the people see him because they just want something from him. And it isn't by the raising of Lazarus. It isn't by the multiplying of bread. It isn't by spitting in the mud and making the blind see that Jesus draws people to himself. Jesus draws people to himself in the most humiliating way, by hanging on a cross. Therefore, we don't see any other alternative. There is nothing spectacular about it other than sin needed to be paid for. Your sin and mine. And it is in that lifting and in that glorification that Jesus brings people to himself. It's the beauty of the cross. And although others look at the cross and laugh and mock and say, how does this even happen? How can there be billions of people following this man on the cross? It doesn't make any sense. But it makes perfect sense in God's divine plan. That's why Paul later on says, I don't preach eloquence. I don't preach these wonder in, in a matter, an oratory fashion. I just preach the cross of Christ. And people will come to him. But what happens here? In verse 34, the crowds don't believe it. Why? Once again, they're captivated by their sight. They want to see something. They want to experience something. And the crowds do not believe. And then Jesus repeats in verse 35 and 36, walk in the light while you still have time. We hear that echo in, in our culture. We hear that echo because Paul even reminds us of that echo in Romans when he says that God passed over our sins for decades and generations in his own grace. Friends, if you're in sin, my call to you today is walk in the light. Go back into the light while there's still time. That's the wonder and the beauty of the cross that it opened up Jesus Christ and it gave us a time frame of grace so that you and I can come to him when he draws us near. Walk in the light. But, verse 37 through 40 also speaks of a plan. And it was a plan to harden people's hearts. It was a plan to blind people to not see and to be hardened and therefore not turn to God. That was planned because it was never going to be in the efforts of the people. Think about it. If you come to Christ because you think you're smarter than everybody else or because you found the mystery and you said, oh, now I can come to Christ. Then it wouldn't be a supernatural act of grace. But it was in this planning where the hearts were hardened that people would be drawn to Christ. John repeats this in his, in his gospel in, in chapter 8. There is still this obligation of coming to Christ and realizing who he is. But the people rejected him. Because they didn't approve of the sign of the cross. It was dumb to them. It was an oxymoron to say Messiah crucified. 
You cannot have a Savior that is crucified and that will die. They're, that's why they asked him, we, we've read of the Christ. They said, we've read that he will live on forever. And you're saying you're going to die? Who is the Son of Man, they said. It's nonsense. And therefore, in that nonsense, they rejected him. John says in chapter 1, verse 5, they didn't comprehend in verse 11 of chapter 1, it says they didn't know him. It says Christ came, the light came to his own, and his own didn't even know him. Because it was a dark place, a dark world. And that dark world and dark place, that tenebras, the Latin word for darkness, crucified God. The darkness thought that they could just get rid of what they didn't understand. You know, when you're in school and you don't get something and, and it just doesn't make any sense and you're just like, man, I just hope this isn't even on the test, so I'm not even going to pay attention. Just get out of the way and let's pray that it doesn't come up on the test. Kind of in that fashion, they're just like, let's get this guy out of the way. You know, this, this Christ guy, this Jesus guy, this King of the Jews guy, let's just get him out of the way. He's obnoxious. He's saying all these stupid things. Why would we even bother with him? Let's get him out of the way. Let's humiliate him. And let's show anybody else who claims to be Christ, let's show them what's going to happen to them if they raise up and start talking nonsense. So let's put him on the cross and kill they killed what they didn't understand. They killed the light of the world. But, this is the most important aspect, my friend. But, 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 they didn't take into consideration that his claims could be true. They didn't consider the fact that, well, okay, he did raise somebody from the dead. He was doing these miraculous things. He, his words were way different. He, his attitude, we've never seen him sin. We, we don't have anything to put, uh, point a finger at him. He's just been the perfect man. He's, 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 he's forgiving. He's loving. He's great. Like, none of this, what, just what if it was true that he, of what he spoke of? What if it would happen? They didn't consider it because they didn't understand it. They got him out of the way, but they forgot that Jesus promised to rise. You see, Jesus just didn't live to die. That's where most of us kind of have this Christian view of, of the cross. Oh, Christ came to die for our sins. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen. But Christ didn't just come to die and be crucified on the cross for our sins. He didn't just do that. That wasn't the ultimate, ultimate plan. It was for him to resurrect. It was for him to raise from the dead and show his power in defeating the cross. My friends, we worship a God who is alive and well, who didn't just die like Muhammad, who didn't just die like any other religious leader, who wasn't just a simple martyr. He was God. And he raised from the dead, and he lives. He lives. He's reigning. He's governing. He's ruling over the earth. But what do we do with this? What do the people do with this in John chapter 12? 
who didn't understand, who didn't comprehend. Look at what Jesus says. I love this. Go back to John chapter 12. Look at what Jesus replies. And Jesus cried out in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Look at what he says in verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me as himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Here's the thing, my friends. The resurrected Christ has two aspects of his resurrection. It is for the present person who is walking in light, that we walk in that power of the resurrection, but those who have denied him, those who have not accepted him, who have looked upon the cross and have not seen in that cross a savior, will be judged. The cross and the resurrection is a sign of grace and of beauty, but it also is a sign of judgment. Jesus said it himself, I will hang on that cross and this world will be judged. Because what he did was provide light. And those in the dark rejected that light. And in so doing, they were still on the team of tenebras. They were still on the team of darkness and what did we say earlier? Who is related to the ruler of darkness? Satan. And in so defeating Satan, he defeats all of his, all of his followers. So those who are on team darkness, team tenebras, are defeated by Christ and are judged by Christ and his cross. That is what they forgot. That is what they were forgetting this entire time. If we just kill the guy, we'll get rid of this nuisance and this pebble in our shoe. But they did not understand that if he did resurrect, he would be a savior. And at the same time, he would be a judge. He would be a redeemer, but he will also be a condemner. He will be a king, but he will also be an enemy. Which is he? And today, my friends, which is he for you? Have you seen the cross? Have you seen, have you heard, have you grown up in church and still haven't understood the concept of coming to Christ through the cross? Has the cross just been the symbol that you've seen all day, all your life in church and just kind of been like, well, yeah, that's the Christian cross. As long as Jesus isn't on it, I think that's, it's okay. But if Jesus is on it, that's kind of a bad thing. I'm kind of confused about it. What does the cross mean to you? And what does the resurrection imply in your life? Is Jesus your savior or is Jesus your judge? And that's the harsh reality of the cross. 
But for those, that's why Paul, I love when Paul says, but for those who are being saved, the message of the cross, when they hear it, when, they, when, they be, when their hearts are illumined by the message of the cross, for those who are being saved, it is the power of Christ. It is beautiful. You and I who have been saved by the cross of Christ for the payment of sin, you and I who have come to the Father's arms have realized one thing. We were poor, wretched sinners. We were a disgrace to humanity. Nothing good, nothing good in us. You and I know ourselves better than anyone else in this world. We know how bad we truly are. And a person like us has been saved by grace. How does that happen? But it is the power of Christ. It is the power of God. And we live in that grace. We walk in that grace every day. Jesus resurrected. All of the Gospels attest to it. This was a reality. This wasn't just a first century document that was written and, and elaborated and made up by his followers so that they can kind of prove his, his resurrection. No, you got to remember people were dying for following Christ, for believing in the message. What good would, be, would it be to keep believing in a guy who died and then be killed for believing in him, for lying that he would resurrect? The Gospels attest to it. You read all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them speak about an empty tomb. That dark place was dark because there was no one in it on the third day. There was eyewitnesses. Jesus walked this world for 40 days in this wonderful, glorious type of body. We really don't understand what kind of body Christ had. But what we do understand is that it could be touched, he could eat, and it showed the marks and the piercings of the cross on it. But that resurrected body gave the greatest commandment for all of his followers. That resurrected body said, go teach this world, what I have taught you, go make disciples. So the resurrection, friends, isn't just a passive event for passive Christianity. Resurrection implies action because it was in his resurrection that Christ sent out his church to preach to the darkness. There is a dark world there is a dark, hateful world that needs to see the light of Christ. The entire New Testament, my friends, the entire New Testament's message, especially in the Pauline corpses, is, is, is emphasized on the cross and resurrection. We wouldn't have a New Testament. We wouldn't have Paul's writings. We wouldn't have Peter's writings or John's writings if the resurrection did not take place. It's true and central to our faith and belief and practice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, one of the greatest passages on the resurrection. And in verse 4, he says, he was raised. And then he goes on the entire, the rest of the chapter to prove how he was raised and how nonsensical it would be for us to come to church and be Christians if he, if he didn't raise. Can you imagine how how idiotic it would be for us to be here right now. 
How nonsensical would it be to be at church listening to a guy talk about a guy that supposedly resurrected but really didn't? It'd just be nonsense. It'd just be a waste of time. But Paul says, based on his understanding and knowledge and his own conversion of, by Christ, that he was raised. And I love the grammar in here because this verb of being raised is a perfect verb. And, and the students of Greek and the teachers teach us students of Greek that when you see a perfect verb in the sentence, in the clause, you understand this perfect verb as a meaning of something that happened in the past with an ongoing consequence. He did it, he was raised, and it still affects us 2,000 years later. And if you don't believe me that that's what a perfect verb means, ask my friend Henry, he will attest to it. It's ongoing. The resurrection is for us today. It isn't just for us to applaud it and be like, oh, look, that was cool, that was awesome. I think it happened. It's for us today so that we live in the power of the resurrection, walk in its authority, and live as believers who, are, who have been crucified with Christ, but also raised with him in his resurrection. How does this affect us today? The resurrection realize, it recognizes in us this power of God in our lives, in our own salvation. It's this concept of regeneration. It's this concept of light coming into a dark corpse and bringing it to life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, He has caused us to be born again through his resurrection. The reason you and I have been born again, the reason you and I are Christians and walkers of light and sons of God is because his resurrection caused us to be born again. We can't be believers and not be believers of the resurrection. This regeneration in our, in our lives, it, it, it shows the power of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, He was raised, we were raised, the church was raised with Christ. What Paul does in Ephesians is unites the body, which is the church, and the body of Christ, and it brings it together. And in Christ's body, the church enjoys the benefits of the resurrection. We walk now in its power, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And in, in walking in this power, he is working in us. That's why you and I aren't perfect. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, we're walking and working in this power of God in our lives. That's why you and I, there's still some areas in our lives that are kind of like, eh, that could get better, that could get a little bit better. Yeah, we're not perfect, but we're walking in the power of the resurrection, and that power is working in us. Think about it, my friends. The way you were before in most cases, I've, I've been in church long enough to hear wives say this. Man, if this man didn't come to Christ, if Christ didn't win this man, I would have left him a long time ago. God did something in our lives. God did something in our souls that made us different. Though we aren't perfect, 
The resurrecting power is working in us to move us away from that life of darkness. And the way it does it is by giving us the same authority. This isn't the authority to to do, to fly, or to do all these miraculous things with our hands. The power and and this important aspect of the resurrection lies in that we are now victorious over sin. My friends, you and I used to be bound to sin. We loved sin. It was part of our daily commute. It was part of our daily lives. It was common practice for us to be in love with sin. We loved it. I don't know what was your addiction of choice, but most of us were consumed by it. But now we hate it. Now we've run away from our dark past in the authority and in the power of the resurrection. That's why if you're struggling with sin right now, friend, remember the Christ that died on the cross, resurrected, and that resurrected power in in unity with us as a church gives us the authority and the power to overcome sin. You do not need to live in sin any longer. You don't have to come here and be like, oh, I just can't, I can't, I just, I try and I try, I try. My, my answer to you and my, 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 my strong affirmation to you would be, are you a son of Christ? And if you say yes, I would say to you, walk in the authority of the cross. Don't baby your sin. Don't be like, I, I just can't, I, I, this isn't, no, no, you are a son of Christ, you are a son of light, and the cross is giving you power to overcome your sin. If you don't want to overcome your sin, chances are you haven't come to the cross correctly. You need the cross in your life to vanish, to conquer over sin. And like I said, it isn't talking about perfection, but it is talking about not living in the same thing over and over again. Not doing the same thing over and over again that shows us that we were once in darkness. Another important aspect of the resurrection is this guarantee of justification. And once again, in brief, what is justification for the sinner? Again, it puts us in right standing with God. We are just now before God. And that happens because the cross happened, because the penalty of sin was paid, and now we are just before God, but the resurrection assures and seals that justification for the rest of our lives. We are raised for our justification. Christ raised himself for our justification, as Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. So the resurrection wasn't just this uh, passive event for the rest of Christianity. It was in that resurrection that we are continually or continue in justification. It's the seal of God's approving work over Christ. Whatever Christ did on that cross was perfect. It was God's divine plan. It was God's divine plan in bringing Christ to that cross. And when Christ was raised, God approves. And the work that Christ did on the cross was accepted by God and therefore no more penalty of sin needs to be paid, no more wrath of God over the life of the sinner, and no more guilt needs to be in our hearts because Christ paid for that on the cross. Because Christ's work was perfect. 
And that's why we can live in that justification. If we're not in that justification, then there is penalty of sin. There is the wrath of God over the guilty sinner. And there is guilt still in our lives. But when you come to the cross, all of that is paid for. Because God accepts it and he makes it perfect. And because we are united to Christ in this resurrection, this approval of Christ's work, this approval of what God, what Christ did on that cross, this applause from God for the work of Christ is also an applause and an approval of you. Think about that. Let that sink in a bit. Where you, this wretched sinner, like yourself, like myself, is approved by God. Why? Because we did something? Because we managed to do something good? No, because Christ in us brings that seal. And because God sees Christ, he approves. You're approved by God through Christ. That's what Paul emphasizes on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. That's why... There's no more guilt, my friends. The resurrection allows us not to be guilty anymore. Get rid of your guilt. You, that guilt needs no longer exist in your heart or in your mind. I remember as a little kid, I used to love this Christian artist. This Christian artist shaped my entire between 5 to 10 years old, you, I knew every song, I knew every lyric, I knew everything this Christian artist did. And I loved this one sketch that he did. If, if you grew up in the 90s, you probably heard of him. His name was Carmen. And Carmen did this cool but cheesy sketch about, about this a battle between the demonic powers and a conversation with the devil and a demon worrying about a church that was praying. It, it, it's kind of cheesy. It's kind of like, wow, yeah, it doesn't make any, I don't, know. I don't know. But back when I was six, seven years old, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And in that sketch, this demon is speaking to the devil, and they're worried because their plans of evil are no longer working in the world because there are Christians that are praying. It's a funny thing. But the devil says, then what can we do to bring back this sin over this world? What can we do to, to destroy the world? And, and they go through all these plans, and none of the plans seem to work out. And then finally the devil says to this little punk demon, he says, I know what we can do. We'll just remind every Christian about their past. And then everyone's like, and all the demons are, yeah, yeah, let's remind them about their past, and they're going to feel guilty of their past. And, all this. and then this little demon comes out, and he says to the devil, oh, devil, but if we remind them of their past, they're going to remind you of your future. And then the, all the people come out, and they're like, plowed, and everyone's like, woo! And then Carmen comes out and starts singing Revival in the Land. And it's an amazing moment. Although it is cheesy as can be, there is truth. That the devil has a future of torment and that the sons of Christ have a future of glory. Our past isn't our future. But the devil's past will remind him and keep him in that future. And that's why, my friends, we live in this resurrection power of seeking after God and living in the cross and raising with him. And there's no more guilt in our life because 
Christ died to cleanse that from our souls completely. The resurrection keeps us in obedience and in line. This is the glory of the resurrection. And these final seconds I have, I'm going to just remind you of what this means. It means that we are to maintain ourselves in obedience. Remember, the resurrection isn't passive awareness. This is action on our behalf. God uh, died so that, so that we can be cleansed and then he resurrected so that we can live a life of obedience. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 11, verses 11 through 13, that we're dead to sin and that sin no longer reigns in our souls. And then it also gives us hope. Resurrection means there's going to be a return. Because Christ resurrected, if Christ promised to resurrect, that means that he also promised to come back. And if God fulfilled the resurrection, God is going to fulfill his return. My friends, there is a better place for us. There is another place for us, something better. This isn't it. I grew up in Cicero my entire life. This isn't my heaven. This world isn't my gift. Not Cancun, not Acapulco. None of these beautiful places, this isn't it. There is something better because Christ is coming back. And there is a final victory to be held before him. And finally, my friends, the gospel needs the resurrection because Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess and you believe that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. As a Christian, you need to believe in the resurrection. It proves that Jesus' claims were true. The resurrection also proves that the blessings that Jesus promised on the cross will be secure for us in our lives today and in our future. And if Christ died we will also be raised with him. So if you die in Christ, my friends, you will be raised in Christ. That's why we no longer need to fear death. Death should not be or have us trembling because Paul clearly quotes a book that we've been reading this entire time in, in, in Hosea. Paul says in Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 55, he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where did Paul get that from? Well, you and I have been reading through Hosea this entire time. He got that in the chapter that we're in at this very moment. We're in Hosea chapter 13, and he quotes from verse 14, and he says, Where is your sting? We no longer need to fear death because we will rise with Christ. What did Christ do to death? He defeated it and he conquered it. So picture it like this. My teacher, our Greek teacher, gave us this amazing example of Christ's defeat over death. And if you look at it as a scorpion, the only reason why you're afraid of a scorpion is because of its stinger. But if you get rid of that stinger, that scorpion has no power over you. So what Christ did was that he took the stinger on him and got rid of the power of death. So therefore, me and you don't have to tremble about death. You and I can live a victorious life because if we die, we will be raised with Christ. And that, my friends, 
is the power of the resurrection in our lives today. How many of you can say amen? Let's stand to our feet. And I want to just encourage you. Walk in light. Come to Christ. Walk in light. And get rid of your dark past because Christ has defeated the enemy. Let's pray. Thank you for this resurrection. Thank you for getting rid of condemnation and guilt over our lives. And in this very hour, we celebrate our new birth. And we celebrate our justification before you. We couldn't have done this on our own. died and on the third day you rose and you have given us victory over our sin and therefore we will walk out of this place victorious over our sin and with the message of hope for this world that Christ died for the sin of this world but he also resurrected to bring us together with Christ so, Father, let us leave this place today in that anointing and in that power that we will one day see you face to face. And therefore, we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And we say, Amen. Amen.